I'm only human after all And you're only human after all Don't put the blame on me Welcome to Ponder Exchange, a podcast about Christian faith and armed service hosted by me, Brother Logan Isaac. First Formation is spiritual exercise for high church lowlifes looking to get the fuck up and pray. Join us every weekday morning to hear the good news through grunts and with grunts in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Psalm 87 On the holy mountain stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. Among those who know me I mention Rahab and Babylon, Philistia too and Tyre with Ethiopia. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born with it. The Most High Himself will establish it. The Lord records, as He registers the peoples, this one was born here. Singers and dancers alike will say, All my springs are in you. Isaiah chapter 66, verses 18 through 23. For I know their works and their thoughts, and I am coming to gather all the nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory, and I will set a sign among them. From them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Put, and Lud, which draw the bow, to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the nations. They shall bring all the your kindred from the nations as an offering to the Lord, on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and in dromedaries, to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the Israelites bring a grain offering and a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. And I will also take some of them as priests and as Levites, says the Lord. For as the new heaven and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants in your name remain. From new moon to new moon, and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. When Jesus had come down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and there was a leper who came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. He stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I do choose. Be made clean. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, appealing to him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible distress. And he said to him, I will come and cure him. The centurion answered, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only speak the word, my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, Go, and he goes. And to another, Come, and he comes. And to my slave, Do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those who followed him, 
Truly I tell you, in no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and will eat with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the heirs of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you according to your faith. And the servant was healed in that hour. Good morning and welcome to the 12th Wednesday after Pentecost. This is Brother Logan Isaac broadcasting from the Appalachian Abbey. I'm sorry, not the Appalachian Abbey. uh, From what may or may not be called the Chapter House in Walkersville, Maryland. This morning we have a really exciting reading uh, from Psalm 87, Isaiah 66, and Matthew 8. Matthew 8, as um, is perhaps most well known and is really central to... um, uh, what I call a martial hermeneutic, which is to read the Bible and our traditions through the lens of soldiers and veterans. A hermeneutic is just a fancy way of saying how something is interpreted. And martial is um, not M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L like Marshall Mathers, but martial like martial law, M-A-R-T-I-A-L. Um, that's anything related to the military or the armed forces. So martial hermeneutic is reading uh, the Bible or something, culture, uh, an event, whatever, through the lens of what it means to be or to serve in a nation's armed forces. And uh, Matthew 8 is uh, a parallel to Luke 7, sometimes called a centurion of great faith. And for the most part, I've only ever, well, yeah, for the most part, this is passage is interpreted pretty straightforward. Centurion comes, uh, he commands men, and he's, he tells Jesus, who he clearly has some belief in, he says, can you heal my servant? And in fact, there's an entire book that I've I read about this, um, A Week in the Life of the Centurion. Um, and it's actually really good. It looks kind of kind of dopey on the outside. I think it's a, an university book, and I cannot remember the, the name of the author, but he takes this, this uh, episode from Matthew and Luke, and he builds out an entire history to, you know, historically based, it's historical fiction, but based on this, uh, you know, centered on this story of the centurion. And it's really good. I was quite surprised, because it incorporates other uh, times in which Jesus interacts with a centurion or this centurion. Um, But uh, the passage itself seems pretty straightforward. Um, He wants his servant healed. Now, he may want his servant healed because he loves, he's a horrible taskmaster and he just wants a lot of work done and the the, the slave who is injured or, or sick can't do the work. That's possible. It's also possible that the centurion treats his slave as a member of the family. And it, it may be that this member of the family, his job is to take care of tasks and chores. Um, and the, the word for this kind of person in this family is slave. Um, and that's the, the tack that this book, A Week in the Life of Centurion, takes. Um, that the slaves were a part of the greater familia. Um, the uh, Domicus is the nuclear family in Rome. 
the husband, the wife, the children. Uh, and it, it, it's related to this word domus, which is lord, or father, or head of household, whatever you want to think of it. So, and, it, and from that we get domicile and domestic. That is the nuclear family. That is only people related by blood or by marriage. The familia includes servants, slaves, um, uh, borders, uh, depending on who you're talking to, perhaps something like house pets or even livestock. The familia is the wider circle compared to the, the domicus or the domus. I can't remember. Um, and so if you've seen, if you've ever gotten an email from me, you'll see this, um, decal that I've created based on the, um, the Marine Corps logo. I haven't been contacted by the Marine Corps yet, and if I did, I could call it satire. Um, but I take the Semper Fidelis, which means always faithful, and I turn into Semper Familia, which is always family. We Christians, we, the military, are always family, whether you like it or not. Um, once you've become a you know, member of the military, you'll always, I mean, it's, I, I, I find it hard to believe that this isn't true, you know, depending on your experience in the military, I suppose. Uh, for the most part, if you have a relatively average experience in the military, you'll feel some kinship, some camaraderie with other members of the military for the rest of your life. So we're always family, semper familia. Um, and um, there's only one time where I've ever read a theologian or, or, or interpreter read this passage differently. And it comes from uh, a guy named Andy Alexis Baker. Um, Andy is um, really active, or was, I don't know if he still is, in this group that was really helpful for me when I was getting out of the military called Jesus Radicals. And um, they, in a nutshell, they are uh, Christian anarchists. Christians who do not believe that um, the governments of the world ultimately are, uh, I guess, authoritative or um, necessary or helpful, whatever. And he takes this passage in a book called A Faith Not Worth Fighting For, I think. I think that's what it's called. Edited by um, Justin Bronson Berenger. And, and maybe Andy is an editor too, I can't remember. And somehow he how he reads this passage, he reads this word amazement, thalmatsu in Greek, that Jesus was amazed not because, as it seems straightforward, this outsider seems so humble and, um, and faithful to this God, uh, to this family, familia, of which he is not a part. He's not a Jew. Um, in fact, the Jews would have not liked centurions and Roman officers. There's a lot of um, violence that was going on around this time between Jews and Romans. Um, and Andy thinks this amazement is ironic. That his response saying, uh, after the centurion says, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, my servant shall be healed. He takes this as, or, or Andy reads this as Jesus taking an opportunity to to make a dig or shame Israel for not being this faithful. And it's been a while since I've read Andy's chapter in this book, but he, 
he seems really convinced that this is not a centurion of great faith, um, but that it is an episode in which Jesus um, takes advantage of whatever what, you know whatever the centurion is doing, saying, thinking, believing, is not the point, and that, that may be totally fair. Andy thinks the point is Jesus is amazed, ironically, and he he has this like. I don't know, I want to say like a Karen moment. And he says, um, uh, where did it go? Um, I have found, in Israel, I have found no, I've, in no one in Israel have I found such faith. That's this big eye roll. And the point is that Israel is supposed to hear and see Jesus saying something so um, offensive <laughs> that Israel isn't faithful, but this oppressor is. Um, and it was just surprising because it seems so clear to me um, what's going on in this passage. The centurion is not the only instance of a Gentile being faithful. You can think of uh, the, lay, the the woman at the well um, who says, "Aren't aren't uh, don't the dogs get to eat the scraps that fall from the master's table?" Um, a, a, any number of other uh, Gentiles and, and soldiers and, and veterans. Um, so what strikes me with this passage, um, so we know it's very likely to have happened, it appears in both Matthew and Luke. Uh, I believe it's Luke 7. And um, the, it, it reminds us that soldiers and veterans have always had a place at the table, have always been a part of this familia of God um, that uh, is grafted onto the vine of Israel. They're not Jews. Well, at least not in this case. Um, There are some Jews who are soldiers who are part and parcel to um, the family of God. Um, And there are some who who are uncomfortable, like Andy. Um, Andy's not the only one. Andy's just one that has interpreted this passage in this noteworthy way. Um, There are many Christians who aren't comfortable with the fact that um, people that we think or they think are oppressors uh, that do not uh, belong in the family because of choices that these people think soldiers and veterans have made. um, And we try to write them out. We try and redirect the the, the central thrust of the story. Um, we, or we write them out of the story entirely. Um, a, faith, um, a faith like Andy's um, that is uncomfortable with soldiers and veterans and the moral um, issues that they bring into the family, they don't want to believe that uh, Matthew 8, Luke 7 are, are part of our own tradition, integral to our tradition, that Acts 10 and 27, um, that there's a reason that they're there, but it's not because it's displaying our family, the family of God. This is an outsider story for outsiders, right? Um, And that continues, that kind of instinct continues to this day, Um, that stories that are about soldiers and veterans quickly get consumed and redistributed and repackaged by civilians to say something else. I saw on Twitter the other day um, a really prominent um, veterans advocate uh, with a group called Common Defense 
um, he shared a Twitter thread about how he doesn't um, respond to requests from media or other VSOs that get almost explicit about wanting the, the pain of veteran stories, like share with me your PTSD stories, you know, give me your sob stories so that um, we can help fundraise for our organization or something. And uh, is his name also Andy? I don't remember. Or Chris? Dang it, I don't remember his, his name. But he, he shared in his Twitter thread how he doesn't do that. Like, that's not appropriate. That's, that's reducing um, veterans to instruments that we can use, uh, that we can either pick up and use how we want, or we can put away in a drawer as though they don't exist. Um, I, in, in my life, I remember um, it's harder to find now because I took it down. I forced a, an institution to take it down, I guess. I didn't take it down. I wish I had that power. Um, I was on the cover of Christianity Today um, for a feature article in June of 2015 um, that was um, the subtitle on the cover was how a psychiatrist is deploying hope to, to soul-scarred veterans. Nowhere did the author of that article, well, I'm sorry, that's not true. The article was heavily edited. Um, the article that I saw before it made it into the magazine was longer and much more nuanced. But by the time it made it into Christianity Today, um, thanks to Caitlin Beatty, who was the, the editor for the story, um, it was much more focused on a psychiatrist, Warren Kinghorn, um, and the story of what he was doing to help other people like me. The story was not about Centurion's Guild, which was kind of the precursor to PPUHQ. It wasn't about how I and other veterans at the university where he taught um, were already doing things with or without his help. It was, look at this outsider helping um, this group of, you know, needy, broken, whatever uh, veterans. Um, the story was not about the story. The story, um, so in, in Matthew, according to Andy Alexis Baker, the story really isn't about this exchange between Jesus and the centurion. It's about Jesus trying to make a point at the expense of the centurion. And yeah, 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 your slave is healed. Go on, flitter away. Um, similarly, in this Christianity Today article, nobody ever thought to ask what we were doing on our own to help our own uh, peers. It was how an outsider thought he was helping um, and how other outsiders felt good about how this outsider was helping veterans. Um, and for a number of reasons, not just that um, you know, kind of problem, all the other veterans, once we read it, had, our names had their names removed from the online article I, as far as I know, grabbed up all the copies of the magazine that uh, I was told existed. Um, and that was mostly fine until I learned that they were still using this cover, which used a horrible stereotype about veterans and used my face to make that point. I learned eventually that, um, that they were using that cover to solicit subscriptions, using my face and an epithet uh, to try and earn revenue. And that's when I had them take it down over a series of several emails, um, after which Mark Galley, Gallo um, kind of retreated behind a lawyer, and this happens frequently. 
Um, so whose story is being told is important. The story of Matthew 8 is about Jesus. It is. But it isn't Jesus at the expense of the centurion. This isn't the church um, just trying to take what it needs from soldiers and veterans, whether that's you know freedom of speech or uh, whatever other constitutional rights uh, we, we talk about our military protecting. Um, it isn't about taking things at the expense of others, uh, writing and rewriting the story so that we're at the center of it, civilians or whoever the dominant culture is. Sometimes we're not the center of it. In Matthew 8 and Luke 7, the centurion is right there in the center of the story because Jesus is the center of the story. And it is about what that centurion is, uh, is saying and doing. Um, and we can't write it out. We can't ignore it or reinterpret it to soften its impact just to make us feel better. Um, soldiers and veterans have always been integral to the life and the traditions of our uh, of, of Christianity uh, and of Judaism. I don't, I don't even think Judaism has as much of a, a hang-up uh, uh, with military services Christianity does in America. Um, and so I hope my listeners take this, um, this uh, reminder to heart. Um, the Centurion of Great Faith is one of the most important soldier saints in my mind. Um, there's also Cornelius in Acts 10. Um, and he, he serves as a reminder that you can't get rid of us Um, You can't write us out of the story, or you can, but it won't work. The truth will shine forth one way or another. And if you're listening to this, I hope you help me shine that light in darkness, that soldiers and veterans have human dignity, that they uh, have and always have contributed to the life and the traditions of our faith, um, and that any, um, you know, even well-intentioned effort to replace our stories with the stories of civilians in order to make civilians feel better about what they are or are not doing for soldiers and veterans, uh, that we won't remain silent, that we will speak up. Um, I think it's important not just for soldiers and veterans to assert their own uh, worth and human dignity within the church um, because it helps soldiers and veterans, you know, be more... Uh, integrated as people, uh, but also to be integrated with the church. It's about the church telling its own story honestly and and well and uh, in ways that don't uh, unnecessarily demean or, or write uh, people out that were never intended to be written out. I can understand, like, the Philistines clearly are uh, a rhetorical or, like, narrative, um, you know, type. Like that, that's a point, right? That isn't to say that Philistines are all evil or something like that, but there are some that are clearly um, meant as a foil in that way. I don't think in, in Matthew 8 or Acts 10 or many of the others that I think I list at the end of Reborn on the Fourth of July in, a, in an appendix, I don't think any of them serve that function. Soldier and veterans, in my understanding, almost always serve to complicate the story, the easy story of Israel is good, Israel has it on track, Israel is the center of the universe or something like, no, 
God is the center of the universe. Israel is God's partner. And uh, as Christians, we believe that that, that, um, that the good news is broken forth from Israel into the whole world. And now that family of God is much more complicated, uh, much more colorful and, and diverse. Um, and soldiers and veterans are just as much a part of that family as any other, um, you know, any other group um, uh, that, we, that we might think of. So this um, reflection has gone on quite long, um, but if I've piqued your interest, let me know. Go to PewPewHQ and, and see what you think. Uh, pick up my book, Reborn on the Fourth of July, from the online store. You can get it for like a dollar plus shipping. Um, and I really appreciate you, you hearing me on my soapbox this morning. Clearly, I'm feeling better, and I appreciate uh, Brother Chris helping uh, yesterday, and I look forward to continuing to, uh, to interact with these scriptures and our traditions with you, my listeners, for a long time. Prayer for those in the armed forces of our country, from the Book of Common Prayer. Almighty God, we commend to your gracious care and keeping all the men and women of our armed forces at home and abroad. Defend them day by day with your heavenly grace. Strengthen them in their trials and temptations. Give them courage to face the perils which beset them and grant them a sense of your abiding presence wherever they may be. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. <laughs>